Now it'll be my turn to screw it up. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't tell me how to live my life. Bye, Jackson. Oh, yeah, he's he's been a little shit this morning. <laughs> he's back on his steroids because of his asthma. And so he's, like, hangry all the time. He fights with his sister all the time. He's got that roid rage. <laughs> but he's I have to start lifting. <laughs> he's like he Stewie in that episode of Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, uh, I have to keep him on the higher dose until he stops coughing and then I can start to wean him off again. Yeah. Uh, but right now he's on a high dose, so he's eating, drinking, sleeping, eating, drinking, sleeping, eating, drinking, fight with Stewie. <laughs> and that's his, that's his, uh, that's what he does. <laughs> Well, hey, welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 60 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and the Devious from Around the World. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. And we will be celebrating our 60th episode today by discussing some unsolved mysteries and cold cases. And yes, it is the 60th episode. Last week was the 59th episode, not the 58th <laughs> episode. Thanks for... My uh, bad. Yeah. I'm like Ron Burgundy. You can't put something on the teleprompter and expect me to read it correctly. It's going to come out the way it's written. <laughs> you guys, don't forget to check us out on our social media. We are on Instagram. Under, uh, sorry, that's Twitter. Uh, Instagram, strange underscore unusual underscore podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter, underscore strange unusual. On Facebook, strange unusual podcast. Uh what else? What else? What are we on? Patreon. Patreon.com slash strange unusual. You can send us an email to strange unusual podcast at gmail.com. Let's make a community of freaks. <laughs> I want to hang out with you guys. I want to hear your feedback. Come, come, come hang with us. I want to, I want to, I want to be involved in your, in your little baby lives. My God. Hey, Roy, what are you talking about today? I am talking about one of the most famous unsolved cases from Southern California. Oh, I wonder what it could be. You'll never guess. I wonder if it's one of the ones that you are like the most infatuated with that uh, I hear you talk about a lot. It's possible. It's possible. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about a missing persons case. Uh, I was I was considering doing this as a Patriot episode, but... Uh, I didn't like the idea of it being behind a pay barrier because then if you know something about my missing person, you can't tell me if you're not a Patreon member. And I felt like that was kind of a shitty move. So I'm doing it today. That's fair. That's a good point to make. Oh, hey, you want to hear some shit? Let's get in our leftist agenda real quick. Oh, yeah. Bring it. <laughs> so my supervisor uh, was saying that if the minimum wage was increased to $15, that I would be taking a pay cut because I, I, I make more than that. But essentially, he was like, well, if they make more then you're essentially losing money. And I went, you know what? I don't give a fuck because I'm more concerned that people can pay their goddamn bills and buy fucking food than I am about my fucking pay cut. Well, yeah, like the whole thing is that like, well, then you're not uh, if you're making $15 an hour, then you are saying a person working at McDonald's should be making more than a EMT. And I'm like, why is an EMT making $15 an hour? Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's the question here. Yep. Why is someone who is in charge of saving, saving your life lives, you that has to boomer. go <laughs> that has to go and get degrees and go and get certificates uh, and shit. Yeah, certificates and stay up to date with like the current, you know, requirements for medication mm -hmm. and how new processes and has to take tests and keep all that up and pay for all of that too yep yep why are they making 15 dollars an hour yep. i don't want someone who is in charge of saving my life <laughs> barely only. being able to survive that yep. doesn't make any sense so his whole thing was well you know then mcdonald's hamburgers are going to cost eight dollars instead of two dollars and i went why isn't fucking McDonald's CEO McMansion motherfucker taking a fucking pay cut if that's how he feels about it? 
Well, and you can also, so I saw, um, I did not realize this, that the minimum wage in D.C. is already $15 an hour. And so I saw someone who lives in D.C. who was answering questions about it on Twitter. And that was one of the things that came up was like, how don't you have burritos that cost $38 or something? He's like, no. I have actually gone around D.C. because I love Mexican food and I have checked out a bunch of different restaurants and the most I've ever paid for a burrito was three fifty. Wow. Like, <laughs> well, and AJ said this. I mean, AJ's taken economy classes. I have not. But he was like, you know, if you pay people $15 an hour, they're going to spend money. Yeah. They're going to suddenly go, wow. I don't only need to pay for necessities. I can stimulate the economy. (gasps) Fucking imagine that. Yeah. I mean, it's the fact that, like, the cost of living, rent, food, all of that has increased Mm -hmm. insanely, even in just, like, the last 10 years. Not even saying from, like, the last time that the minimum wage was raised. Yeah, which was, what, in the 80s? Yeah, I think so. And... Yeah, I saw something about, like, in 2010 or something, the average, like, house, the median house cost. I saw that. Was, like, $88,000 or something. Yeah. And then now in It was, like, a 500% increase or something like that. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's, like, 160000 or something is the median average for the same home. Mm-hmm. Like, people who are saying that, like... I lived in this apartment in the 90s for $400. By general inflation, it should be $800 now. I looked it up online, and it's going for like Mm -hmm. $1,400. As somebody actively looking for a place to rent, yes. (laughs) Yeah, same. I'm looking at places around here, and I'm like... You have a one bedroom, like 600 square foot house that you're wanting $800 for, and I can't have pets? Like, what yeah, are what you f- smoking? <laughs> you know what? You know what really grinds my gears? Did you know it's illegal to uh, say you can't live in my house if you have children? Yeah. I hate that. I would love to live in an apartment building with no kids. Right? This little shit. This, <laughs> this little shit. <laughs> I don't hate kids. I don't hate children. I swear. It's just this little kid. I was leaving for work the other night because everybody, I'm, I'm still working nights. And I walk outside and I get in my car and my neighbor's kid is outside unsupervised just going, meh, meh. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's funny. And I just walked by and got in my car. But then I look fucking up and the kid is standing in my front of my goddamn car playing with the shadows from my headlights. I have to go to fucking work. Where are your goddamn parents? Please get the fuck out of my way. Move. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I beeped my horn and like an older brother or something came to get him. But it was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I had to, I was like, either run this kid down or be late for work. <laughs> I didn't have many options. But I do think I mean, I'm happy you chose illegal. not to run the kid down. Yeah. You can't have, like, I, I promise you, landlords, who I, quite frankly, you should all be lynched, but uh, landlords, my cat will make zero mess compared to my neighbor's child. Right? My, that's what I'm saying. My cat can't color on the walls, potty trained. The worst that's going to happen is that there will be some dirt on the floor from where he has three legs and he kicks some sand out of his box. And I sweep that shit up like a fucking adult. Yeah. Get the fuck over yourself. Some people can't have kids and they have pets. Some people don't want kids and they have pets. Landlords are awful and they should all be guillotined. The end. Anyway, ready to start our episode? <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. Nah. Maybe you should just to. start the episode with landlords are awful and they should all be guillotined. The end. And that'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yours is going to be totally awful. So mine is, mine's awful, but you know, less awful. Oh, that's good. We don't know if he's dead. (laughs) I guess that makes it less awful. That's (laughs) true. Okay. So on January 15th, my birthday. Yeah. But in 1947, um, a household in Lemert Park, California, answered a knock on their door of a young woman named Betty Bersinger. She had been out for a walk with her young child when she happened upon a discarded mannequin. 
Something about this mannequin didn't settle right with her, though. It looked too real. When she got closer to investigate it, <clears throat> she realized that it wasn't a mannequin that had been discarded and broken, too. It was a woman. Flesh and blood. Well, not that much blood, actually, <laughs> but we'll get into say. that later. She was completely nude and bisect. Her face was sliced open from the corners of her mouth to her ears in a grotesque smile, more commonly known as a Glasgow smile, um, which is something that I was reading about because I was curious about the origins of that. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just like a thing that happens with like street gangs and stuff in Ireland. And that there is uh, a couple of actors that even have scars from that happening to them. Oh, wow. Um, so she had several cuts on her thighs and breasts where entire portions of the flesh had been sliced away. Also, uh, wee woo, wee woo. <laughs> hey, we actually didn't get that far into this episode. I probably should have wee wooed before I started talking about landlords. Um, the lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper half, and her intestines had been tucked neatly underneath her buttocks. Ooh, I didn't know that fun fact. Yeah. We'll just uh, tuck the these under here, sweep them under the rug. <laughs> the, which is why the lady thought it was a mannequin, because it was perfect, she was perfectly cut mm -hmm. through the middle, and like there wasn't intestines or organs or anything laying around i was gonna say i wonder how you look at something that grotesque and think that's a mannequin i think that part of it is probably like your brain trying to Can't handle it yeah your brain is just like nope it's something else yep nope that skeleton i saw was definitely a halloween decoration absolutely like i mean it's that same that story of the person who hung themselves in the tree around halloween and people thought it was a really bad like a really in poor taste halloween decoration until she started to decompose Ooh. and then they were just like uh that's a, okay that's a real all right like <laughs> she's stinky she, yeah she hung in the tree for like a week or something because they thought that she was a halloween decoration damn um, anyway, so the corpse had been posed with her hands over her head, with her elbows bent at right angles, and her legs spread open. Um, her autopsy was completed on January 16th and revealed some facts about her and the crime. Also, all of this information is, um, now non-unredacted from the FBI, so you can actually find, like, the paperwork and, like, the actual typed and annotated... Oh, coroner's wow. reports and stuff it was really interesting it's kind of hard to read because it's the the photos aren't great mm -hmm. but it was pretty interesting um so her body had almost been completely drained of blood um she was five foot five inches and weighed 115 pounds she had dark brown hair and light blue eyes and terribly decayed teeth there were ligature marks on her ankles wrists and neck and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Nubar, the coroner, also noted superficial lacerations to the right forearm, upper left arm, and lower left side of the chest. The body had been cut completely in half by a technique that was taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy. The lower half of the body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestines at the duodenum. Um, the coroner also noted that there was not much, if any, bruising around the wound that had bisected her, indicating that it was completed post-mortem. Luckily. Yeah, that would have been rough. Um, there was also another gaping laceration of about four and a quarter inches from the subpubic region to the umbilical region. So basically from her pubic mound to her belly button. Mm -hmm. um, and I've read in some places, and this is something I couldn't find concrete, that her uterus had been removed, uh, which was the result of this injury. Like that was the reason why this injury was there. Mm. Um there was also, I found in one section where she had had a rose tattoo on her leg that had been removed, Yikes. like, during all of this and had been inserted into her vagina. What? 
but I can't find like I find this on a couple of pages, but then not on a couple of pages, and so take that information with a grain of salt. There was a lot of sensationalization mm-hmm. about this. So there's a lot of inaccurate information about the Black Dahlia if you look into her. Um, the skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the front right of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding in the subarachnoid space on the right side, consistent with blows to the head. <clears throat> the cause of death was ultimately determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to the face and the shock from the blows to the head in the face. Um, there was some indication that she may have been raped uh, because her anus was dilated, but there was no semen left on the body. She had also been thoroughly cleaned after the murder was completed, and specifically she had been cleaned with gasoline. Wow. So gasoline evidently destroys uh, the oil from yeah. fingerprints and stuff. Somebody knew the fuck what they were doing. Yeah. Her fingerprints were taken and sent to the FBI using a new technology that allowed the transmission of photographs. Basically like super early fax machine. Um, luckily, they found out who she was because she found she had an arrest record in 1943 for underage drinking. And if you want to see, like, one of the prettiest mug shots, <laughs> <laughs> she is so pretty. Her name was Elizabeth Short, and she was a 22-year-old aspiring actress. Uh, this whole crime is obviously awful, but this particular part just makes me so mad. So the Los Angeles Examiner had been the first uh, newspaper that was on the scene. They are responsible for having taken some of the most iconic photographs of Elizabeth Short's body when it was found on the street. Um, More notable than even the crime scene photographs that happened when the police got there. So they reached out to Phoebe Short, Elizabeth's mother, under the guise that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest and they wanted to know more about her. Then they got all the information they wanted from Phoebe, and then they told her that Elizabeth had actually been murdered. That is a fucked up way to get information. Right? They then offered to pay her airfare and hotel stay for her to come out to assist the police with the investigation. She accepted, desperate to help her daughter's case, but when she flew out to help, the Los Angeles examiner kept her away from the police and any other reporters wanting to protect their scoop. Wow. God, I hate people. Yeah, if I remember correctly from another podcast that I listened to about this case, um, this was something that caused a lot of changes in how the how reporters can um, talk to victims of crimes in California. Mm-hmm. And that like, you know, you, you can't, you can't do this. Like, this yeah. is not okay. <laughs> um. Of course, all the newspapers sensationalized the crime even further, saying Elizabeth was a sex fiend, that she wore tight skirts and sheer tops, that she preferred to wear black clothes, and she was an adventuress that prowled Hollywood Boulevard. There's also a lot of allegations that she was a sex worker. There's no actual proof. All of her friends and family say that she was never a prostitute, that she never did sex work. Mm Mm-hmm. That was not an aspect. Not that there's anything wrong life. with that. Yeah. But, you know, when you're you're trying to say, like, these are people who are trying to say, like, well, that's why she got murdered. Like, yeah, well, fuck those people. Yeah. It doesn't matter if that is something that resulted in her murder. She still got murdered. Yeah. Like, that's the important part here. <laughs> it's like, you can't say, well, she wore a tight skirt, so that's why she got raped. It's like, no, fuck you. How about because he was a murderer slash rapist in this example? That's why. Let's stop yeah. blaming. Let's stop victim blaming. 19 yeah. whatever year it was. 47. 47. Fuck you, 1947. I'm in a <laughs> mood. Continue. Um, on January 21st, someone claiming to be the murderer called the newspaper and congratulated them for all the coverage and that he planned on turning himself in soon but requested that people stop investigating and he would send proof. On January 24th, an envelope that had been thoroughly cleaned 
with gasoline, Mm. arrived at the examiner. The envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. The individual words had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings letter to follow. Wow. And so, um... Within this envelope was Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, her business cards, photographs, names that she had written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. All of the contents had been wiped clean with gasoline. And also, I want to mention, so the Black Dahlia name, Mm -hmm. there is some, it's one of those, like, no one's really sure where it started coming from. Um, some people said it was like a nickname of hers. Some people said that the Dahlia was her favorite flower, but most people have determined that it was, um, there was a movie that was really popular out at the time that was called the blue Dahlia. Mm-hmm. That was like a murder mystery noir movie. And it followed sort of a similar beat to her murder. Not necessarily like identical. It wasn't like they were copying the movie or something, um, but it was like, you know, beautiful, aspiring young actress gets murdered, who done it kind mm-hmm. of thing. And um, so they said that the Dahlia part comes from the Blue Dahlia movie, and then the black part comes from either the fact that Elizabeth Short had black hair, or that she had a preference for wearing mostly black clothing. Feel you, beach. That's a mood. <laughs> and so... um that was a nickname that some people in a um like a store like a restaurant shop that she frequented had started calling her was like oh there goes the black dahlia like that that was a nickname that she had in life wow i um, had no idea before yeah but again it's sort of hazy because everyone wants to claim that they were the one who started it Um, But there was also a black handbag and a black shoe that were found in the alley not far from where the body had been discovered. Um, And at first the police were, you know, maybe these are connected, maybe it's just weird. um, Until they realized that those items had also been wiped clean with gasoline. Mm -hmm. First of all, I want to know two things. Where the fuck did this guy get her birth certificate? And secondly, who was just carrying gasoline around with them? (laughs) That's where I'm at. Continue. I mean, it is the 40s. They might have just carried gasoline around to, like, refill cars and stuff if service stations weren't prominent. I guess. But you're in Los Angeles. Yeah, but it's still Los Angeles in the 40s. It's not, you know, like... (laughs) I guess that's fair. (laughs) I mean, and also, like, if you're planning on doing all of this stuff, I feel like you are prepared to clean up. I guess. Like, if you're this prepared. Yeah, that's true. It's just, like... Unfortunately, like his quote, murder kit, you know, includes gasoline. But on March 14th, an apparent suicide note was scrawled in pencil on a piece of paper found tucked into a shoe in a pile of men's clothing at Ocean's Edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice, California. The note read, to whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. There were no clues as to who the note was written by or the clothing that had left behind who it belonged to. How did they know it was a suicide note? Uh, because I'm assuming because it was in a complete pile of men's clothing that was abandoned on a beach. Ah, uh, I mean, I mean, sounds it was like, like a red herring to me. It was like the entire, an entire outfit. Shoes, pants, shirt, undershirt, glasses, like everything. Um, uh, One primary suspect was the name on the address book that had been delivered with Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, Mark Hansen. He was a nightclub and theater owner, and Short and some friends of hers had briefly stayed at his home. Allegedly, he had identified the purse and the shoe as belonging to Elizabeth. And Toth... Elizabeth's friend and roommate had confirmed that Mark Hansen and Elizabeth did know each other, but that Elizabeth had rejected Mark Hansen's sexual advances. 
He ended up being cleared, but there's a lot of mystery around him and this particular bellhop um, whose name escapes me right now. And it's a theory I want to talk more about, but there is a whole book about it that came out in like 2017. And all of the articles I could find about this theory were basically just the author talking about her book and like not a ton, not a ton of details about like what actually happened. Yeah. Like it's, it's all very, um, I have all this information. You should go read my book, Mm -hmm. like kind of thing. And so it seems like the bellhop that was in, um, that is now one of the prominent suspects seemed to know too much about the murder when he was interviewed, um, that he knew very specific details about, like, what was done with the body, how it was cleaned, different things like that, where the murder was committed. There's some, uh, belief that the murder was committed in the Cecil Hotel. Yes. So that's fun. Yes. That was another one, because we talked about that when I did the Elisa Lamb story. Yeah. Um, because she did, she w- did frequent the Cecil Hotel with uh, some gentlemen friends of hers. Um, so several people in the address book were investigated, and a huge reward was posted for information leading to an arrest. It was something like ten thousand dollars at the time, which is like a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Plus now, yeah. Um, this resulted in people coming out of the woodwork to confess to this crime. Mm-hmm. They were all cleared fairly quickly, though, and some of them were even charged with obstruction, obstruction of justice. Of de- yeah. mm-hmm. was and this, for that case, one. this case remains officially unsolved. But is it? I don't know. Is it? I bet you're going to so, tell me it's not. I feel that her murder has been found, but we'll never officially know. And I think that it's George Hodel. Tell me why. Hodel was implicated by his own son, Steve Hodel. Um, Steve Hodel is a, I believe now retired, um, LAPD officer, detective. Um, and there is a lot of evidence that connects Hodel to the crime. So first off, he has medical training. He Mm -hmm. was a doctor. Specifically, he had medical training in the 1930s when the procedure that was used to bisect Elizabeth was taught. He was also close friends with a surrealist artist named Man Ray, who has a photograph entitled Minotaur. This photograph, and I would highly recommend looking it up because it's kind of hard to explain, but um, it is the abdomen to shoulders of a nude woman with her arms held to her side and bent towards her head, almost exactly how Elizabeth had been laid out. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it is important to note that, that photograph came out in the 1930s, I believe. So it was not like a photograph of Elizabeth or something like that. It was definitely something that uh, could have inspired the positioning, though. Mm-hmm. He was high on the list of suspects of the LAPD at the time as well. He knew a lot of important people in Los Angeles because he was a doctor But not only was he a doctor, he was a doctor to some very important people and reportedly was very good at keeping a very discreet office. If anyone had any dark secrets that they were trying to keep hidden, STDs, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, they would go to George Hodel. He was seeing the stars, but not in a way that a conventional doctor normally would. Right. And there's a lot of incriminating evidence that has allegedly gone missing in the LAPD case about Black Dahlia, about Elizabeth Short, from the 40s. And so there is a lot of belief that whoever killed Elizabeth Short had connections, had powerful connections. Mm -hmm. Either a crooked cop, some celebrities that had cops in their pockets, something weird went on with the information like some very important implicating information going missing right after his death steve hodell his son was going through his father's belongings like you do when a parent passes Mm -hmm. and he found pictures in an old photo book some of which were taken by man ray like family photos and stuff like that and then he found some photos that were hidden in the back photos of a young attractive dark-haired woman with downcast eyes. 
that were blue. And he looked at them and he said, this is Elizabeth Short. His father had personal, private photographs of Elizabeth Short. I don't like it. Steve also states that his father's handwriting is eerily similar to the Black Dahlia Avenger letters that were sent to the paper. At least the ones that had handwriting and weren't cut out of the magazine. A cadaver dog has also been taken to George Hodel's former home and hit for human decomp multiple times in the basement of the home. Wow. I can't hear you if you're talking. I said wow. I still can't hear you. There we go. Hello? I heard a click. I didn't hear you talk. Hello? There we go. I said wow. (laughs) And I think that the cadaver's dog was named like Buzz, so that's important because Buzz is a good boy. Oh, okay. (laughs) I got some good boys in my story. You cut out again. What the hell? I said I got some good boys in my story. Oh, good. But so, most damningly, um, George Hodel was recorded by an unknown person where he said, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead. <gasps> what? Did he kill the secretary too? <laughs> Also, because I feel like it's funny to bring ghosts into the mix, um, there have been several mediums uh, that have gone to George Hodel's former home and have confirmed that George Hodel's uh, aura and his essence that is left on the home is one of an evil that they have never experienced in their lives. And these are people who allegedly don't know anything about who he was. They've been brought in by the family. Um, by I think a a daughter or a stepdaughter who had some problems with George Hodel, um, getting along with him and just like not a very nice man. Um, and he was like the the mediums have all been like, yep, some scary shit went down here and like have flat refused to go into the basement, like specifically. But why were her teeth decayed? I imagine that it was just lack of care. Because, like, in her picture, she doesn't look like she's got nasty teeth and nothing. No, but she's also not really smiling. Kind of thought that might play into this. Nope. Interesting. I learned things today. I'm glad. Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a fascinating case because it's one of those, like, how can something so violent and terrible happen? And we have no idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And there's also some belief that uh, there's connections to the lipstick murderer in Chicago in this case, as well as the um, Cleveland torso murders, mm-hmm. which is a case I almost covered. That one's a good one. Um, and I think that more the connection there is that they were both sensationalized stories that involved like people being mutilated Mm -hmm. that seems to be really the only connection and it's like you want to think that there can't be that many people who are capable of doing shit like that now i don't believe that the person that they got for the lipstick killer was actually guilty i'm sure that that will be a case that one of us covers eventually because i think that was 100 percent they beat a man until he said yeah i did it Mm -hmm. um and just absolutely tortured him until he just was finally like, yeah, 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 whatever. Whatever you want me to say, I did it. I did it. It was me. I'm sorry. It was me. Um, But I don't think that it was necessarily the Black Dahlia Killer. Just because it could have been doesn't mean that it was. Right. It's sort of the same. Like, I don't know that I adhere to the idea that um Jack the Ripper was um H.H. H. Holmes. I just, there's not... Jack the Ripper had a very specific way of killing people, and yeah. so did H.H. H. Holmes, and they didn't have the same way of killing people. Their M.O.s don't match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than they both liked to kill women, H.H. H. Holmes did kill men, too. It just wasn't as frequent. But H.H. H. Holmes wasn't targeting sex workers, and he didn't have the level of brutality that Jack the Ripper showed when he was able to take the time to do so. Mm -hmm. If Jack the Ripper had a house where he could just do whatever he wanted to prostitutes and to sex workers, then all of the victims would have been like his last one that he did have the time to take with it. Right. I lean more in towards Jack. I like the Jill the Ripper angle. I think that one's a really interesting one. 
Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know. I, I, there's something about an unsolved thing that is so interesting to me. And quite frankly, I feel like if I knew, I wouldn't be as interested. Yeah. It's, oh, just it's another just... fucking BTK. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to me, like, especially the more modern ones, like mm-hmm. the I 95 killer, uh, the Long Island Strangler, like people who have been serial killers in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years that we have no idea who they were. And it's like, how? How in... In the surveillance state that we live in. Yeah, in DNA, in fingerprints, in all of these different, you know, it's not like the 40s or even into the 60s and 70s when, like, there wasn't a database to enter fingerprints into. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you could have a murder happen in Los Angeles and then a murder happen in San Diego and they're like a three hour drive apart and it could be the same person Mm -hmm. but they would never get connected because those two police departments just don't talk to one another Mm -hmm. like that happened all the time in early cases which just isn't a thing now i mean the information just gets uploaded and everyone has access to it we talked about that a little bit when we were talking about the uh the night stalker documentary yeah like he had the the ones in los angeles and then he went out of the area and they had to basically convince this other town that we think that's our guy yeah yeah well and there's a ton of unsolved um crimes and stuff like that where it's like uh there's theories that zodiac didn't stop he just moved Mm -hmm. and just like went somewhere else or started traveling and doing the same thing um i mean and like if ted bundy hadn't been as um covered by the media as he was like there's no way he would have gotten connected to the crimes in florida Mm -hmm. ted bundy killed all over the place but luckily he had such a distinct mo and appearance that it was easy to connect him to all of these crimes yeah because i mean he killed in washington colorado i think idaho utah utah i think yeah and florida and who knows, maybe other places too. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's insane. Or um, Israel Keys, I think he's from Alaska. And he would just fly into airports and just like pick someone and murder them. Hmm. Like, that was just what he did. It's insane. That's a word for it. I like to say fucking evil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's man. a new song. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> new song every every episode everybody stick around oh, that one that one could just be a reoccurring <laughs> that's what i say fucking evil <laughs> well mine uh mine is a little heartbreaking because it's recent and it really bothers me i think part of the reason this story bothers me so much is that uh talking today about brandon swanson and he would have been almost exactly a year older than us yeah uh, he was born January 30th of 1989. Uh, so he's like basically right smack in the middle of our two birthdays just yeah. a year earlier. Um, his parents are Brian and Annette Swanson. He has a sister as well. Um, I, I'm i not going to say this right, I'm sure. Uh, it's spelled like Jasmine, but without the S. So it's like Jamine, maybe? I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry, the Swanson family. Anyway, uh, he grew up in southeastern Minnesota. Uh, in a town called Marshall, which is part of a uh, county called Lyon, with a Y, not an I. And he was 19 when he went missing. It was May 13th, 2008, when Brandon went to celebrate the end of the spring semester with his friends. Uh, He was enrolled at the Minnesota West Community and Technical College in Canby, Minnesota. Um, And he actually studied wind energy and like turbines there for a year. Uh, And this was approximately like 30 to 45 minute drive from home. So around 1230 in the morning, he is leaving these parties that he's been at and he's driving himself back home when his car ended up in a ditch on a gravel road. This is a big farm area. So there's a lot of like dirt roads and uh, like back roads that aren't necessarily maintained very well. Uh Uh, So he reportedly made attempts to call friends after his um, accident. Uh, to help but nobody answered and so he ended up having to call his parents to come and pick him up they weren't upset they were like all right yeah we'll come out and get you and so he told them i'm not hurt i'm fine i just am stuck 
Yeah. Uh, he was pretty sure he had ended up near a town called Lind. Uh, but then his parents arrived at the location where he thought he was, and both Brandon and his green Chevy Lumina were nowhere to be found. This whole time, Brandon's been on the phone on and off with his dad. Um, there were some interview conversations where uh, apparently they got frustrated at one point and like he hung up on them and mom called back and apologized, you know, that sort of <laughs> thing. But over the span of time, they've basically been staying on the phone. So it's not like he went missing and then they, you know, weren't talking to him uh, for most of this. Um, so uh, they're on the road and they're flashing their headlights and he's like, I don't see your headlights. And then he flashes his headlights and they don't see his headlights. So he decides to, <clears throat> sorry, he decides to abandon his vehicle and he told his parents, I'm going to start walking in the direction of town. I can see lights. They're over there. I'm just going to walk toward Lind. I have a friend who lives there and meet me in the parking lot of this local bar. And he's telling his dad like, oh, I see fences. I hear running water. Like, I'm not sure where I'm at if I'm not where I told you I was. Yeah. Uh, so this call went on for about 47 minutes, like I said. And then Brandon lets out a, oh, shit. And then the line goes dead. Oh, no. And that's around 2.10 a.m., I believe. And uh, he has not been seen nor heard from since. Oh, jeez. Uh, his parents tried to call over and over like five or six times. But it just rang and rang. And it didn't go directly to voicemail. So it's not like his phone died. Um and so his family starts calling his friends to see, like, hey, have you heard from him? Do you know what's going on? Uh, they start going out and driving up and down these back roads, looking through the farmlands, and there's no sign of him. So Annette calls the police at 630 that morning to report him missing. And the police give them the whole uh, garbage about how young people stay out late at night. This isn't unusual. His mom even recalls in one interview, uh, with a staff member from Nancy Grace, which I thought was like, I, I never watched Nancy Grace and clearly I should. <laughs> um, one of the officers told Annette uh, that at Brandon's age, he had a right to be missing. I mean, I get what they're saying, but like to me, it feels like there should be a point in time where you're like, I was actively talking to my child yes. or to this person. They wanted to be found. I was trying, like, that's why we're here, is yeah. driving, trying to pick them up and help them. Their phone went dead. The line dropped after they said, oh, shit. Like, I need some fucking help. Yep. <laughs> but here we are. This isn't, like, somebody who was, like, you know, he wasn't flunking out of school and, like, trying to run away. If he had wanted to run away, he wouldn't have called his parents to come and pick him up. Right. Well, authorities finally got on the case uh, and were able to locate Brandon's car through his cell phone records. Uh, he was on the, his, his car, not him. His car was on the side of a field approach and uh, it was hanging up in a ditch. So his tires were too high off the ground. Uh, so he wouldn't have any traction to reverse. And that's how he was stuck. He was actually about 25 miles away from Lind and nowhere near the location he had given his parents. The road he was actually, uh, his car was on, was actually on the line to Lincoln County. So the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office was called in to help. And because of the phone records being routed through a tower in Yellow Medicine County, they were also brought in. So this was had three county sheriff departments all working together to try to find this young man. Yeah. Uh, police found no evidence of anything unusual. And unfortunately, there was no indication of which direction he had gone in because this was a rural back road. And I'm sure, you know, a bunch of farmers probably drove up and down it, and if there was anything, it was a rainy season, probably didn't stay around very long. Yeah. Search dogs were brought in and led police to the edge of the Yellow Medicine River. Remember, he'd heard running water. Um, according to CNN, uh, the river's depths range from knee-deep to 15 feet, and at the time of this disappearance, the river was flowing high and fast. Lincoln County Sheriff Jack uh, Vizeki, he said that he was taking six hours out of his day every day for a month to walk along this two to three mile stretch along the river um that you know that's that's where the good boys had tracked to they said this is where he was yeah. uh due to the indication of the dogs it was first believed that he had fallen into the river and was washed away yeah uh but boats from the department of natural resources were deployed along the river uh gates were installed 
There were horses and ATVs used to search the surrounding areas while, like, search parties walked along the riverbanks. More good boys. Yep. Um, However, Annette Swanson is not convinced that Brandon drowned. Uh, She said, quote, there is really nothing to indicate that he's in the river, she said. Uh, It's a long trail, about three miles. The new trail path also led to the Medicine River. The dogs actually jumped into the river, jumped back out, worked the trail up to another gravel road, and then lost the scent. Uh, Some sources claim that this scent trail ended at an abandoned farm, which is important for a theory later. I should also add that friends of um, Brandon's, who were at the two parties that he had been to, uh, reported that he had partaken in some alcoholic beverages, but did not appear visibly disoriented. One of the things that I read said that he had had a beer and a shot of whiskey, which, I mean, it all depends on your metabolism and everything, but those wouldn't get me drunk. So I don't know. At least not to the point of, you know, I'm lost in my hometown sort of situation. Investigators haven't ruled out foul play, but there's no evidence that anybody else was involved. So it's kind of like... We can't tell, so we don't know. Yeah. Later searches turned up tracked scents of human remains toward the area of Porter, northwest of the original search, but no body has been found. As of 2015, there were still active searches going on in different farm fields, uh, areas they hadn't been able to search yet, areas they hadn't been able to uh, search previously due to harvesting schedules and bad weather, according to the search party leader, Ken Anderson, who is the president of the Emergency Support Services based in in, uh, Minneapolis, uh, which is a group dedicated to helping search and rescue recovery missions. So that was, what, six years ago they were still doing searches? That's the latest I've been able to find on anything they've been doing recently. Um, Ken Anderson has gone on to say, as long as we still have the approval of the family, law enforcement and landowners our intention is to continue to do this it's pretty hard to do searches for seven years this was in 2015 uh, but there are families that are still waiting after seven years there are families still waiting after 20 years because there was also uh, another abduction case in this area um, of a boy who had been taken and had been missing for 20 years at this point wow and they had searched over 122 square miles as of 2015 for Brandon's uh, remains. There was, there's a silver lining in 20, uh, 2009, the Minnesota uh, legislator passed Brandon's law, which requires that authorities respond more urgently to cases of missing adults up to age 21 who go missing under suspicious or dangerous circumstances. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I said, like, I could understand if it was like somebody who had a history of, running away Mm -hmm. or somebody that they could find like yeah i mean he was flunking out of college and like didn't want to tell his parents and so he might have just left yep but like there's nothing to indicate that those things and i'm not saying that that's 100 percent that like you you could be someone who actively tries to run away and still get kidnapped. I'm not saying that you're somehow, like, shouldn't be taken seriously. But I feel like there should be some... Like, if if he was 17, mm-hmm. there would have been more urgency taken with this. Yes. And you don't suddenly understand how to handle every situation ever. But, like, you definitely don't understand how to handle every situation magically from 17 to 18, which is what I think is something that a lot of people neglect to consider is, like, just because you're 18 doesn't mean that you suddenly have graduated all of the classes and are officially hashtag adult. Like, you know, it's... I'm 31 and I'm still struggling to learn basic <laughs> things about how to be an adult. Like, you right though, you right. Uh, so to say, like this 20 year old can just, you know, why is he? Why? Why would he call his parents yeah. if he was trying to run away? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have. Um, yeah, like that just seems mean to like call your parents and have them out there looking, like knowing <laughs> you're running right away. away. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like they had that kind of a relationship where it was, like, antagonistic or anything. Because if it had been, then why would they have dropped everything to come out to come and get him? At two in the morning, yeah. Yeah. Seems. Well, the theories of what happened seem uh, limitless. 
I spent a lot of time on Reddit reading people's theories and what happened. And generally, it's believed that he died of exposure. Um, I know that seems crazy that in May, you could die of hypothermia. But in Minnesota, the temperatures had dropped to 39 degrees that evening. Um, And a lot of people believe that his remains are probably somewhere within just a few miles of where his car was found. Uh, There are some uh, theories that he was attacked by a wild animal and dragged off. There's theories about abduction and that the lights he was seeing from town were actually headlights that were... uh, I thought you were going to say alien Aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could write that on Reddit. (laughs) I don't think that's going to help anybody, though. Um, Yeah, and that the the lights that he saw were actually from uh, headlights. Yeah. Uh, The... One of the investigators said that the lights were actually from like a silo or some kind of like big farm building equipment sort of thing that I don't know that has lights on the top of it. Uh-huh. And that he's probably walking towards that and slipped in the river and fell and drowned and washed away, <clears throat> which is another popular theory. But I tend to think more of the hypothermia route. Um, yeah. There are other suggestions like it drug- could have been both too. Yeah. Could have slipped and fallen in the river and then been wet and then also like got out of the river and that's what a lot of people think is that because the cold of the is not gonna help you <laughs> when you're when you're wet and cold it's worse than when you're dry and cold yeah um, others were suggesting that drugs were involved and that uh, some some redditors were even going so far as to suggest that he was got by the Mexican drug cartel in Minnesota in Minnesota I mean. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know anything about the Mexican drug cartel. I, I guess it depends on if it's uh, if Minnesota's on that. Um, what do they call it? The cash. Yeah. The um, the main arteries for drug and human trafficking. But uh, nobody has come forward and said like, "Hey, Brennan used a lot of drugs." <laughs> like, there's no connection. My gosh, <clears throat> there's no connection. Uh, that I found to Brandon and drugs. So I don't know why the drug cartel would be like, hey, white boy, you gonna die. Um, Yeah, and I do think it's interesting that he was from the area and didn't realize that he was so far away from, he was so far away from, what was it, Lind? Yes. That's the city. Because like 25 miles, you're not gonna be able to walk that. Right. In a night. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if you're, like, military training, really going, but I think even then, that's too far. Yeah, and, uh, like, the the thing to me that is so strange is that, like, you'd think if he slipped and fell in a river, like, his hat might have fallen off, or there might have been, like, he might have dropped a wallet, or, you know, there's, there's like, nothing. Um, yeah. And he was wearing a hat and glasses. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but yeah, he was wearing a hat and glasses, things that you could easily lose. Things that could easily blow away in the wind, you know. I'm surprised nothing has come up after plus years, twenty, almost nearly twenty years, thirteen years. Yeah. Um. The one theory that I was just reading, and that I don't know, there's one about a sinkhole, and I was like, yeah, okay, maybe, but um, because from what I understand, sinkholes don't really form in Minnesota, but I don't know, maybe possibly the one that really got me was the idea that um like uh annette swanson said that the dog picked up the scent on the other side of the river Uh and so this person was like what if he got out on the other side of the river he uh you know fell victim to exposure in a field and then somebody went out mulching up the field yeah and i i ran this idea past my husband i said well what about this and he goes uh those machines you would know (laughs) Like, if yeah. you hit something that big, you usually would know. Um, because you don't want to be tilling in ground that that is that that is that rocky, I would guess. Um, so if you hit something hard like that, you probably feel it. Also, that would cause a lot of gore. Yeah. And the idea that it would just not be seen is... It is... would be like throwing somebody into a wood chipper. Yeah. But that was a theory that I thought was interesting because they went on to say, like, you know, if you have a farmer who has had previous uh charges or anything like that or if you have an undocumented worker who doesn't want to get sent back or be in trouble or those sorts of things you know you might find people covering that sort of thing up i think it's a big mess that you would have to cover up uh and it would take a lot of work 
And I don't know necessarily that that is something that could happen, but I thought it was an interesting theory uh, upon reading it. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, so Brandon was last seen wearing baggy jeans because it was 2008, a striped blue polo shirt, a black hoodie, and a white baseball cap with wire-rimmed glasses and a sterling silver chain necklace. Because it was 2008. Yep. And, uh, God, you know what the worst part for me was reading about his mom saying, like, I felt from the very beginning that we were never going to see him again. Yeah. She's like, you you know, as a mom, like, you want to hold on to hope, but I just have a really awful feeling, and I don't think we're ever... She's like, I don't think we're ever going to find him in my lifetime. And that's just, yeah. like, heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't find that they'd even found his phone. So they were able to, like, triangulate basically where his car was because of his phone. But uh, I didn't see anywhere that they'd actually found the phone. So I don't know what happened there either. Because it was still able to ring. So it wasn't like it went into water and died. So that was kind of mysterious to me. Yeah. Um, it's just very... I wonder if he got hit by a car. I wonder that too. Uh, but the the thing is, the dad was on the phone... And what he said was that he heard, he thought he slipped. He didn't hear a splash. He didn't hear a big crash or anything like that. And the phone was still on when he said, oh, shit. He was like, hello, Brandon. Brandon, are you there? And then tried to call back. So he thought the line went dead. But, it, you know, he it, it wasn't like the phone shut off. Yeah, but like if you. So he was able to hear things. He didn't hear somebody come up and like abduct his son or threaten him or get out and say oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck i just hit a dude <laughs> you know like he didn't hear those things and i don't know how long he stayed on the phone before hanging yeah. up and trying again but you'd think you'd hear you know somebody getting hit by a car that ain't that ain't a quiet experience yeah who knows that's kind of unless the he was unless he was like maybe trying to dodge out of the way of the car yeah and like the phone got chucked yeah but the like i said the the good boys led them to the river so what was the idea? So the idea about the abandoned farm was that he had been mulched? Yeah. And that somebody, like, basically, went, oh, fuck this. We need to get out of here. But I, I guess it depends on how abandoned the farm was. Yeah, that was the problem. Like, for me, I couldn't find anything about, you know what else got me? Why weren't these farmers, like, I get your, it's your harvest season, whatever. If somebody's missing, you're really going to say, mm, I'm sorry, you're going to interrupt my harvest. What a dick a dick farmer <laughs> in my opinion so is there anywhere if anybody has information yes uh, i wanted to wrap up by saying uh the last thing that i think is really super heartbreaking about the whole mom thing is that they still leave the porch light on for him at night oh right that fucking murdered me at the end of that article but if you uh if you look up i'll post pictures of brandon obviously and we'll put stuff in the um, show notes but um, if you have any information on Brandon or, you know, what might have happened to him, uh, 1-800-843-5678 or 1-800-THE-LOST. Um, and those people will know where to get your information. <sighs> that one, I watched a Bailey Sarian video like maybe a year ago and that one she did. And I was like, Ooh, that one, Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> that one really hit me in the feels. And like I said, I think part of it has to do with, like, that could have been us. He's our age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also wasn't going out and drinking and partying in 19 because I was, I was a prude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but. Yeah. That's Brandon Swanson. There's also a Brandon Lawson, not to be confused. Uh, and he went missing as well. But I might do that for another episode. Hmm. Well, I look forward to it. If I look forward to it, I mean, I don't. Yeah. Because they're sad. I look forward to, hopefully there's an update at the end that said, he's been found and he's alive and well and nothing's wrong. He just had amnesia. That would be nice. <laughs> I definitely think that this is a topic that I would like to come back to another time. Yeah. Like unsolved and cold cases and stuff. I think they're interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm always super fascinated by things that aren't solved especially modern stuff because it's like you said earlier we live in a fucking surveillance state now like there's yeah everybody's got fucking cameras how do you not see things how do things slip yeah. through the cracks that's what really gets me yeah and um yeah there's just there's a lot of um 
interesting cold cases that have been solved, but they took so long to get solved mm-hmm. that I think are really interesting. Like, there's one that happened, like, in my town or in the town over from me that I think is just fascinating. And I watched a uh, Forensic Files episode about it, and I didn't realize that it was, like, northeastern Oklahoma. Oh, man. And that I knew this case until someone I knew was on the screen. <laughs> and then I was like, holy shit! Because I, I knew his daughter had been murdered, but I didn't know that he had ever done, like, a, a show. cold case or a Forensic Files or something. Yeah. yeah. Dang. There's a Forensic Files episode from my hometown, but it was, like, before I was born. Yeah, this was before I was, before we lived here and everything, too. But, like, I knew, you knew. I know the guy. Yeah. And so, like, he was, he's, uh, does signs, or did, he's retired now, but he did, um, like, the big store signs and stuff for, like, small businesses. Yeah. And super eccentric, weird guy, but, like, really nice yeah. at the same time. And, uh, yeah, mom just mentioned one time to me in passing that one of his daughters had been murdered and that mm. it had been unsolved. And then it got solved a few years ago. I mean, it's always good when families get closure. And I think that's another big part of, like, this sort of thing. It's like, that poor woman just has to believe her son is dead. Now, they've never held a memorial service or anything for him. And I don't know if that's just them holding out hope or what, but um, she was like, I don't think we will unless something happens. Yeah. So, but yeah. Sometimes weird stuff like that happens, though, like yeah. abducted kids being adopted by adopted by new families mm-hmm. or like all sorts of just I, there was one that I think came up. I think I saw it on a when I was looking for a case to cover. And I think Bailey Syrian did an episode recently about it, too, where it's been, like, she was abducted or went missing, like, 20 years ago and has, like, just been found. Oh, wow. Like, this year or last year. Did you see that one thing on Netflix? It was the girl who went on vacation with the dude and then he, like, basically said, we're married now and they lived in an RV for a while. I can't remember what that was. I don't know, but I watched an episode of a thing on... Amazon Prime and I'm 100% covering it because it was a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, abducted in Plain Sight, I think it was called. Oh, I've been I've had that recommended to me many times by friends, but I've not watched it. Ooh, it's I've weird. It's, I've heard it's a hard watch. Oh, it's it's fucking weird. Um, gosh. And then there's there was one thing I think I was watching on Hulu, and it was. Uh, several many peoples who had basically been born in this hospital told that they were told their parents were told they had died as, oh, yeah. as infants and then they were given to other families who were paying for babies yeah uh, I was just watching when I think that one took place in like North Carolina and I've been interested in that too so man cults unsolved mysteries stolen babies that's what I want to talk about that's what I want to talk about <laughs> but anytime you want to anytime you want to deviate from our format i don't care i mean i already talk about corpses more than i probably should yeah whatever thanks for joining us today for our discussion on those unsolved cases join us next week as we look into the strange and unusual in sweden we hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences we want your stories your questions and your feedback send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. Do you know who murdered Elizabeth Short? We want to know. Yeah, it was George. Dr. George. If there is a fascinating um, unsolved case that is always an unsolved case or missing person that has always piqued your interest, especially something from a hometown, let us know. We'll look into it. That'd be a super cool episode. Yeah, I would love that. I was trying to get people... Look, people, I was trying to get you to talk to me on Twitter the other day. Come come for me, literally. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find us on Patreon. Wait, am I am I at Patreon now? Sure. Did I miss something? You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast 
or on our personal accounts, Roya Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roya Rampage. We are on Facebook. Just search strange unusual podcast and we are streaming now. So you can find us doing games and shit at twitch.tv slash Calamity Casey and twitch.tv slash Roya Rampage. If you'd like, you can support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, but we totally understand we are in the year of our Lord 2021 recovering from 2020 and it's still rough. I think Senate just passed the, uh, the relief bill number three. So hopefully we'll be able to get some support here soon. But that being said, we do appreciate likes, share, subscribe, review, all those great, wonderful internet things that you do. And if you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it out loud with your consent because consents are important consents are important mm-hmm. anyway bye well hey uh i'm gonna go to bed i'm gonna talk to the people that. since you're leaving i'm gonna go to bed now people and uh take my feet out from under this heating pad because they're a little clammy <laughs> i'm a little punchy Ooh, now i'm gonna go bye